Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Karen Henson. Karen Henson. Karen Henson. <laughs> She's right there, ladies and gentlemen. Now our podcast has turned into a game show. <laughs> Karen Henson. Now, that would be an interesting format. Like, how do you do a podcast in a game show? Huh, we should think about that. All right. Next time. But until then, we're talking to Scott Booth to finish up our conversation on the reliability of the Old Testament. You guys enjoy. We're back this week with Dr. Scott Booth from the Pillar Seminary. Yep. And um, if you're returning to us from last week, then you might have a headache from listening to the previous episode. Yeah, let us thank you for coming back. Yes. <laughs> Guys, I've been down here for four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> they won't let me leave. I love it. But, uh, but we're going to continue our conversation on how the Old Testament text was transmitted. And so let's pick up with the era of the kingdom, the yeah. Israelite kingdom, which just to give you guys a very brief overview, um, you have the first king of Israel is Saul. That doesn't go well. <laughs> then it's David. And then David has a son, Solomon. Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is not a good king. Yeah. So the people rebel against him. The kingdom splits. And then during all of this time, you have this group of people who are writing and ministering to the nation of Israel in the north and Judah in the south called right. the prophets. Yep. So talk to us about prophetic literature and ready to go. Okay. So prophetic literature is super, let's just go for raw prophets at the moment, right? So in the ancient Near East, we know of these people from the time of Abraham all the way up through the time of Isaiah and those guys. And we know of them in their Babylonian or well, Mori and their Assyrian context. Now, it's neat to compare them with what goes on in scripture and you learn a lot from it. Like, for example, one of the things you learn is that uh, prophecies come in these like short bursts. They're quick and they don't write books. There's, they don't do that. They do end up writing. I, Isaiah is a writing prophet. But, mm -hmm. uh, on the whole, these are quick little prophecies that they'll give. And an easy place to find this is early, I don't know, Amos. You'll see all these little quick utterances. Mm -hmm. Thus says Adad. That won't happen in Amos. Yep. But like in Babylon or something, thus says Adad, you know, Hammurabi is a total jerk. Don't worry about him. He's going to be a blip on the radar and go away. Like Obadiah. Right. Just a, a quick little saying, uh, Obadiah would- Like Edom, you guys- are terrible. Right. The yeah. Lord's going to kill you. Peace right. out. Right, right. So it's uh, what's helpful about that is if you envision what happens is a prophet receives a word from the... Okay, just go anthropological here. Mm -hmm. A prophet receives from a word from the deity, goes out and says the thing. Mm -hmm. Someone then writes it down and then passes it on to whoever needs to hear it. Mm. Right? That's one way that this thing happens in the ancient areas. Sometimes they'll actually write them down and mail them off to somebody or whatever. But what's written down is already a secondary thing, mm. even on those tablets. Right. It's already been shaped. So, I mean, it's not a dictated thing. Like right. no one's sitting, as far as we know, no one's sitting in a temple with like moist clay in their hand, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. waiting for someone to go to like prophetic tirade. While the prophet's going like, yeah, yeah. And they're just waiting yeah. all day and their hand's getting all soggy or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> okay, that's totally overstated. Whatever. <laughs> like, uh, so what happens? Someone has a prophecy, someone goes, writes it down, and that's already now a shaped text for the audience. Mm -hmm. Dear King, the prophet said such this, and such, yep, yep. right? So that's already through a secondary thing, right? So what you get in scripture then with these prophetic books, Isaiah doesn't sit down and write all of Isaiah. Yep. Amos like in does, one sitting. Yeah, yep. Amos doesn't do yep. it, right? Yep. 
And in fact, they don't even hide the stitchings from you. Every time you see this, thus saith the Lord, maybe not every time, but very often, it's like a little, it's a spot where these texts have been stitched together. Mm. Not only have they been stitched, but they've been arranged. Like they're not even in necessarily chronological order, but right. they're in a thematic It's a order. series of sayings. Right. Yep. And so you'll see even differences, this will get us to other stuff, between like Jeremiah in Hebrew and Jeremiah in Greek. And what it is, it's just the arrangement and the order of things. Got it. It just shifts the presentation slightly. It's like the meal is already prepared, mm-hmm. but they're just kind of changing what's on the plate a bit. Like what, what gets put in front of you first or second? But they have a purpose for doing that. It's oh, not like totally. it's total, it's not like it's random. Like, oh yeah, it's uh, all here. theological. It's yeah, a theological ex- presentation, exactly, right, something right. for you to consume. Right. So I know that's all this is kind of weird because you think you just sit down and read something that someone penned like they wrote a story. Like, mm-hmm. It's like they wrote a story in that who's ever putting all this stuff together could use keywords at the front and the back of the book to make you think of them. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, yep. that's weird because it feels like you're messing with a quote. You're not messing with a quote. Yep. You are trying to tie all the quotes. You're packaging in. it. Yeah. Yep. Like yep. that's kind of weird though, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like because you're thinking it's all dictated. It's mm-hmm. not like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't we don't have evidence that it's like that. So these prophetic books, which you have four prophet scrolls, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the twelve. Mm-hmm. And the twelve is probably the easiest place to see this. That's even a packaging of a packaging of a packaging. Yep. Right? Like it's all just here, consider all of this, which evidenced even in the order of those books are different in different traditions mm-hmm. because they're presenting that differently. Right. This isn't hidden from you. Like this is all like Googleable. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a technical it's, term. It's just not part of the way we approach the text, yeah. thinking it's this concern to present it to you. Mm. Right, they would expect that you understood that the prophet went out in the street one day and said, "Y'all are gonna die," and then went home. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, or a few weeks later, had something different to say. And someone's writing this down, and then they arrange it as a theological message mm-hmm. for you. So when you see the Book of Amos, which part did he do? Yeah, did he say it? Probably yes. Did he say it exactly like that, or has it been shaped? It probably has some shaping. To yeah, it. yeah. But we see that. Everywhere. In the Gospels, too. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Gospels I mean, do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, Right? Which Stories yeah. show up in different places chronologically. Gospels. Like, yeah. Yeah. Four Gospels, four. Some stories are compressed. Others are- That's right. Know, yeah. Totally. Because they're telling a story. And they're, they're making a presentation. Right, right. And they're expecting you to understand this is a presentation. Mm-hmm. Each one of these things are different kinds of like Netflix shows. Yeah. Not everything is a freaking documentary. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's okay that they're all, they expect you to understand that. So, did Amos even bring all those tablets together? And I wouldn't be tablets, it'd be scrolls. Mm -hmm. Is he he the guy who does that? I don't know. Maybe. Right? So, the book of Amos, all it says is it's the prophecies of Amos. Yep. I don't know if he's the one who compiled them. But then you've got stuff like Isaiah. Who's like, hey, in the in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, I saw the Lord. Right. And and so you have the actual substance of the prophetic message yep. where the guys are going, No, seriously, I saw the Lord. Yep. And it was this. But that message may have come from Isaiah who's Isaiah is a writing prophet. Right, right. right. Or there could be a scribe or a group of people who get this message and package it so that it's communicated right. to the people in a certain way. Right. So Jeremiah is a good example of this. He had a whole bunch of stuff written down and they they just, someone got mad at him and burned and it. it. <laughs> so he's like, well, shoot, I got to write yeah, yeah, that yeah, whole yeah, yeah. dumb thing again. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he has to get back to work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, there's dates, so we know they're not doing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. We know that Jeremiah in particular, we have tons of evidence that says different communities were even at the very earliest stage passing down different orders. Right. So actually, uh, the newer stuff on this, there are actually two versions of this mm-hmm. that have been passed down, which that's like boggles the mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And and all of this is just super earthy mm-hmm. because these communities are passing this down as a message to the next one. And this mm-hmm. is what this is how God is working. So touch on that for just a minute. Because right now it's like, well, dang, this is not the way that I thought of yeah. the Hebrew scriptures. So what is God doing? Because it's going to make people uncomfortable that it wasn't just like, ABC, here you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So speak to that. I guess the first thing I would say is, and in the ancient world, it might make them uncomfortable if they approached it as if what we're saying. Our default belief is that Ezekiel just sat down and went hum and hum and hum and just mm. wrote the whole thing mm. out or something right there. Yep. I don't know why, but we think that. His eyes rolled back in his head. He right, and just did it. Yep. That would, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to them, to them, they would say like, what? why would you even think? I don't understand. That makes me really uncomfortable. Mm. So it's really just a matter of your default and your, you're just feeling... The culture Cultural shock. Bias. I think you're yeah. feeling culture shock. Yeah. And when I say stuff like this, that, hey, this stuff is composed from different sources, different times, and that's okay because it's not it's not hidden. They're not hiding. Yeah, it. and an ancient Israelite's like, okay. Yeah, I mean, and in, in you read the book of Kings, like there's multiple strands in that book, right? And you can tell them one is a strand uh, and they're not hiding it. If you just are aware and good at that ancient literature, there is a like a, a record strand, mm-hmm. and then there's prophety story strand, mm-hmm. and then there's a record strand and prophety story strand. Like there's different things going on, and the coolness of that book is it's like a meal. Like, and it, the author is saying, "Here, consider this," yep. and it's it's got all these different ingredients in it. Mm-hmm. But they're not hiding the ingredients. Right. This isn't deception in any way. It's like this, it's like looking at a quilt and you thinking that all the different patches, like. No one told me there were patches. Well, you weren't looking. Mm. I think another point that's really important here is this stuff is categorically different from, say, a Islam or one of the one of the Christian cults like like Mormonism, where the revelation that people get in Islam through Muhammad is private. Nobody else but Muhammad is the source of this thing. Mm. Nobody else but Joseph Smith sees these golden tablets, you know, and yet in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, this prophetic literature, all this stuff is very public. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they're going, hey, thus saith the Lord, and then we're just going to have to take his word for it. Like, things are playing out that are showing that, oh, dang, that guy's legit. Yeah, there's a a public demonstration. Exactly right. There is a confirmation that, hey, no, seriously. So I think... Even just listening to this, I think people can get in their heads like, oh my gosh, if it passes through that many hands, they're going to mess up what God wanted us mm. to know. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just not true. Nope. Yeah, right. And nope. so the message doesn't change. It's like you said, it's the presentation. Yeah, if, if you believe that, your God is too weak. Yeah. Well, and yeah. the hands are part of it. That, like That's that, right. That's part of the shaping and it's part of the coolness of it. Yep. That, the Lord's uh, going, all right, now you're going to do this. Yeah. And that's going to shape the way I want to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a thin view, which is it happens in a moment, mm-hmm. right? This is the moment of inerrancy and inspiration. Yep. Right? Yep. All we're saying, or all I'm saying, is it's a little thicker than that. Yeah, that's right. 
good. It's just thick and it takes a little bit longer. Which resonate. I mean, uh, this is only just my own experience, but that resonates with me so much more because it reinforces the everyday involvement of Yahweh with his people mm-hmm. as opposed to I showed up and gave you this message. It's like, no, he's in it like the whole I mean, time. Think about two, think about Psalms. You think those guys just like vomited out epic poetry? Yeah, right. Like, no. no. Like they worked the heck on that stuff. I, I, or or, or uh, Proverbs. There are Proverbs. Those are things that have been arranged, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And then also some of it is just straight lifted out of Egypt. What do yep. you do with that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I just, I was once told, don't take out a snake. You're not going to kill. I think I just took out a couple. Going <laughs> <laughs> to leave that and walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even happened. then, even with borrowed things from other proverbs from various cultures, yeah. doesn't mean that the Lord is not in that either. Oh, totally. I mean, it's, it's, so it's like, why can't God do that? Yeah. Well, know? I think we like, we like a black and white God. We like a God that we can fit in a box and we can understand. And he's just so much bigger than that. Oh. So you have the prophets are ministering, then all kinds of hell breaks loose. The Assyrians take Israel off that the Babylonians take Judah off the nation. Just, yeah. And then you have these prophets who minister during the exile. Yep. Some of them are in Egypt. Some of them are in Babylon. Some of them are stay in Palestine. And then you have this return and the major, almost like second Moses kind of figure during the return is this dude named Ezra. Right. So talk to us about Ezra. Why was he so important to like the combining all of this into 22 books that we have today? So when the community is brought back to Israel and it's supposed to be this grand, woohoo, the yeah, Lord, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it's not, it's a total Let's go build a temple and a wall and a- Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well- and even yeah, they they get back to Israel after the exile, and then they're just a total disappointment. Mm-hmm. They're they're a disappointment as a people because they don't do anything. The Lord is a disappointment because he didn't show up, and there's no great epic. They're still under the thumb of Persia, and they're mm-hmm. mad about that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're mad, maybe disappointed. Uh, there is no king in Israel, right? David, where is David's thing? And they're not doing anything. They kind of get stagnant, and then they start behaving in ways that you saw in the Book of Kings. So Ezra. Uh, comes back and just kind of like your dad kicking in the door. He's like, no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he kind of gets all the people back together. And Nehemiah does a similar type of thing. And they start to kind of reorganize. Mm. Uh, and they're reorganizing under the new setting of it didn't look like what we thought it was going to look yeah. like. And so this is a time, it's theorized, that all of these scrolls are coming together and coalescing and being probably the first five books before this. And then it depends on how you're going to handle Joshua Judges and Samuel Kings yep. when those things happen. They're also writing. So Chronicles is happening. Someone's writing Ezra and Nehemiah. The later prophets. Yep. Zechariah, Malachi. Yeah. Those guys yep. are ministering around that time. So yeah, it's a busy time still spiritually. Mm-hmm. They're still struggling with what's going on, but they're setting up under the new context of God has already brought us back but it, the restoration has not really happened. Where is the king on the throne? So they're setting up a new community. And around that is they are kind of focusing around these 22 books. One of the reasons that we theorize that this was the time where these 22 books are is uh, we have these accounts from like Josephus in the first century where he's writing against this Greek dude named Apion. And he's like, he's like, hey, we don't have a myriad of books like all these right. you know, pagans do. We have 22 books. And we know that because when Artaxerxes dies, 
which is around the break in the intertestamental period, the succession of prophets stops. Hmm. And so Ezra is that last like prophet, hmm. according to Josephus anyway, where he's like, hey, and these are the 22 books that are the books that we have as a Jewish people. Yep. And so some people look at that and they're like, here's a first century source who's a Jew who's going, hey, there was a succession of prophets from Moses yeah. to Ezra and then Artaxerxes dies and that sealed or that was like the, right. Ezra was the last one that's like, hey, these are the 22 books. So, I mean, I know it's a possibility, but what are some other ways that people look at this? There does seem to be, uh, well, first of all, you're straying into territory that's beyond the OT world. So yep. I, this is when I eject. But, um, uh, uh, Scott just left. The <laughs> yeah. Where's Dan? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so there does seem to be some evidence that stuff was sealed. Mm -hmm. you get, there was at least a, a core of that seal. Uh, uh, you can get the list of those things uh, in Maccabees when Judas collects the scrolls to save them from destruction. You can look at his list. Which is much later. That's like 164-ish BC. Yes. So, oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. So it's not like Ezra and Judas Maccabees are Oh, right, right, right. In the I same. thought you were saying later than Josephus. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No. So you have Ezra, and then there's a period of, that starts this, what's known as the silent period, which is nothing silent about it. It's nope. the intertestamental period. Right. And kingdoms are changing. You know, you've, you've got the Egyptians are ruling for a quick minute, and then the Syrians come down, and then the Syrians, like, oppress yeah. The Israelites, and that's when Judas comes out and is right. like, Jude, he's like yeah. the William Wallace of the of the Jews. Exactly, the and they also know that he's not the answer because he's not of the line of David, and he's not in the right priesthood. Like something's still wrong, but at least it's better than this other thing. But in his efforts to preserve the community from this Hellenization and whatever else is going on, he uh, collects the scrolls, and you get a list of what he collected, and that's pretty much it. Minus Esther, right? I think it's either Esther or Esther and Daniel. Esther and Daniel are kind of the outliers on these things usually. And then the other is uh, before this, the uh, Ben Sira, he has a list of people that he has. And I think he includes everyone that's in the 22 books uh, minus it's either Esther or Daniel. So you're seeing a couple of different pieces of evidence during the second temple period, yeah. the intertestamental period, and then like post-Jesus by a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. There's evidence where people are going, hey, these are the Hebrew scriptures. Right. And it's basically the 22 books, which in English later gets divided actually because of the Septuagint, yeah. because they run out of space. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. They're like, uh, let's do first and ki second Kings, you yeah. know, right, right, and right. it divides out into uh, 39 books. But there's also a lot going on during this time that is not the Old Testament, but is later kind of grafted in. Right. Those two books I just mentioned, right? Maccabees and yep. the Wisdom of Ben Sira. So talk Sarah. to us about that. What is that? The faith community is still super active, trying to figure out what's going on. They're still hearing from the Lord and talking to him and struggling through this cluster cuss of a yep. few hundred years. It's a, a bunch of those books that are considered sacred or are very nearly it. It's mm -hmm. kind of a, I say it this way, I'm thinking of my um, my Roman Catholic friends who are going to kick down this. <laughs> um, uh, which, so th there is a long tradition where these texts 
have been debated about how central they are. Mm-hmm. There's a set of texts that there's no debate about. And that set is the 39 books right. of the Old Testament. Right. So, and then there's a question of, well, what about these other ones? And everybody kind of agreed they're super cool. And those are known as the, the Old Testament Apocrypha. Right, right. Uh, and then much later on, there's a phrase, the, uh, the word used deuterocanonical. Mm, or second canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's a, but that's a later word that's used for them. Uh, to try to explain how they use them. But there's a long debate about how central they are, not about whether or not there's any use to them. And then later on, the Reformation kind of lands real hard on one side saying, not only are they not central, but there's some toxic elements and we should get them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying this literature is being written during the intertestamental period. There's a lot of, especially in like Enoch and the Psalms of Solomon and in a couple of different places, there's a pretty heavy messianic expectation right. of, like you said, where is, where's David, basically? Where's David? Get us out from under these empires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Restore the kingdom of God. Peace. Everybody should come to Zion. What is going on? I hate this place. <laughs> that's a really good summary. <laughs> that's the, that's that's the awesome. apocrypha. Yeah. yeah. And there's some people saying the answer is the Pharisees have the answer. The Sadducees have the answer. The Essenes have the answer. And they're all trying to figure out how to do this. But then there's also been a Jewish dispersion. So there's a yep. Jewish community in Alexandria in Northern Egypt. Yeah. And the tradition goes that there's these 70 scholars who get together and they're like, hey, Koine Greek is kind of the lingua franca now. Like everybody's speaking this. We've got to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Right. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So they just translate it into the language of the day that everybody uses. Yep. And uh, so it can be much easier to disseminate among the people, Mm -hmm. essentially. And when they did that, my understanding is that the apocryphal literature also got translated and was included in the Septuagint. So by the time that Jesus hits the scene, you have the Hebrew scriptures, the the 22 books in Hebrew, 39 in English, that is the Hebrew scriptures, but then the Septuagint is going, yep, here's the Greek translation of those 39 books. And also, they've included... Here's some popular lit. That's right. Also <laughs> included in the Septuagint. And so yeah. there's some confusion, like depending on which community you're in, you're like, is the Apocrypha on the same authoritative level as the 39 right. books? Yeah. Or is it just like helpful literature that we add on to it or something like that? Right. And then Jerome comes back in and translates from Hebrew. He only wants to use those other books. And you see the New Testament writers minus the reference in Peter to an apocryphal book. And then Jude yeah. as something weird. This is going why are we in there. the New Testament? I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining like in Top Gear, just ejecting right here. <laughs> top Gear, Top Gun, He's Top out. Gun. He's out. Yeah, Top Gun. I love Goose that. is out, man. Okay, so we have the apocryphal literature and it gets included in, the, in this Greek translation called the Septuagint. And then really from that point until right now, we have a reliable history that we can point to, like actual physical evidence yeah. that goes, we can trace the transmission of the text from two, 300 BC until right now. And we didn't have that ability until 1947. Yeah. So talk to us about what happened in 47. The battle of, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this gives us, this is a, an area that's, it's super dry. So mm-hmm. you got these scrolls that are put in these. Like the actual climate. Is yeah, 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 yeah. It's super dry. And so they're stuck in these jars. And once discovered, you start opening them up and it's just a ton of scrolls. Mm-hmm. And it gives you like Hebrew and Greek. It shows you insights into 
the things that separate out all those different communities we mentioned earlier, like the Essenes and Pharisees and mm-hmm. stuff. And while you don't get like full scrolls of the Bible, you get enough to compare very, very early stuff like slightly BC and slightly AD, just think of that realm, uh, up to where we have full manuscripts, so mm-hmm. our, full, our full Hebrew manuscripts of the Old Testament anyway, which is... Like yeah. the Isaiah scroll. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like the, if we have a, a Hebrew Bible. Oh, yeah. Like that's like you're going late 900s AD. That's our first full yeah, one. Yeah, the Aleppo right? Codex. Yeah. yeah. So you have Aleppo Codex, you have the Leningrad, Leningrad Co- yep. Codex. So these are full, pretty full texts, right? Um, those pretty full texts are corroborated by these fragments that were discovered that range around the time of Jesus, uh, mm-hmm. give and take. So that gives you about a thousand years of pretty solid consistency between these sets and some things that, I mean, there are some minor variations, yep. but stuff that would be completely predictable, even if you're just hand copying stuff. And so what you're saying is, hey, we can compare these manuscript to manuscript to manuscript and they're all consistent. Consistent enough. With that, variants, yeah, but yeah, not yeah, significant yeah. variants. Yeah, I mean, like uh, some variants are, you can tell like a scribe will accidentally write the letter M mm-hmm. twice. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just things that are just... None of it's actually changing the content. Yeah, of, And uh, it's not over 10 years. You just said it's over a thousand Over years. a thousand years. Yeah. And evidence from multiple, so not from just Hebrew, but also the translation into they're Greek. Different languages, they're coming from different locations. Yep. And so they all are matching and with yes, perspective. They're all, yes, they're all uh, within the margin of error, if that makes sense. Which proves its reliability. It's essentially what we're driving towards. It's like, hey, this is yeah. evidence that we can trust this. That's right. Extremely strong evidence that suggests that what we have now is the same thing that they had back when they produced these texts. Right. This is a community that's tied into the truth claims of the documents. And so the manipulation of those doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In the Old Testament, they make this promise that when they come back to the land, it's going to be amazing. And all the nations will be at peace with Israel. God will restore the borders. The king will come back. David will sit, uh, King David, someone in David's line will sit on the throne the temple be restored. Everybody will come to Zion, um, turns your your spears into plowshares, and everybody mm-hmm. will sit under a tree. Mm-hmm. Literally, everyone will sit under a tree. And a lot of shed. trees. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't happen for hundreds of years. And so one of the interesting things about, is this reliable? They come back to the land, and it doesn't turn out the way they thought it would, but they preserved those prophecies that it would in light of the fact that it didn't. And then they did it for 100 years, and we know this for 200, for 300. Mm. For, there, mm. This is hundreds of years of expectation. That's that when Jesus shows up, they're still expecting, when is this going to change? And then we know from, and we have that record all the way up to really fragments from Jesus's time. We know that they're still expecting this. And in fact, the whole story of Jesus is you're expecting this, and I'm, I'm starting this. And then the reason I'm saying this is that that lends to the trustworthiness if a community is willing to hold on to something that is mm-hmm. in that all the evidence around them it would have been a great time to modify the prophecies yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. say oh well david won't come back sorry let's erase all of those and let's say that it will be a disaster and we're going to go with a new king or like you know what i mean like oh totally facing all odds like everything around them suggested that something else would happen oh, and, and they it, held on to what they believed totally and true. it just kept getting worse and yeah. worse and worse and they just they they kept passing these things down and so they, they have, could have quote unquote fixed it yep every generation had to 
pass it down. But it's tied to their national identity as a people. That's right. And so it's not like they're sitting there going, ah, oh, this story didn't matter that much. It's that's like, right. no, this is central to matter. who we are. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that also lends credibility to, at least from the point that they began passing it down, that they held on to it and kept that mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And they didn't modify it. That's good. So. so when people open their English Bible today, what version of the Old Testament are they reading? Most of them are based today on uh, Hebrew plus varying degrees of interacting with those other sources. Mm-hmm. So so there's a base text yep. that typically, my understanding is it's the Leningrad Codex, yep. which is one of those that you said is about 1000 AD yep. and is a mostly complete text. But now they've compared that to other sources that are corroborating, yep. hey, yeah, this is legit. Okay, so this is our base text. And then translation committees are taking that base text and translating it into English. That's right. And they do it in consultation with all those other sources, some of which we've mentioned here, but there are a bunch, different translations, so that they can see how the community has understood phrases for a long time and ideas. And and there's versions and yeah, yeah all that there's, stuff. There is just a lot of work and a lot of reliability in the text that you're reading. Yeah, that's good. So last thing, let's talk about some bibliology. So what does this have to do with inspiration, which is typically inspiration is known as the doctrine that God has inspired the authors, the editors, the process of Mm -hmm. transmitting the text so that what we have is what God wants to communicate to us. Inerrancy is that the text has been preserved in a way that what it's teaching is without error. It is is sufficient for salvation, is sufficient to communicate what God has inspired. And so how should we think from a bibliological standpoint about this process? Yeah, I don't think it fits. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> uh, we asked That's the wrong awesome. guy to be here. <laughs> um, Inerrancy is in our doctrinal statement. So. Right. <laughs> right. Heads up. No. I'm just messing with you. I think what did we say? It was either in this one or last one. It's just a thicker thing. Like mm-hmm. It's just not magic in the way this thing is worked out over time. I think that's the way to do it. And you just have to allow for that. And and it, and it might just be that your reflex is wrong. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who has a bibliology or a, uh, when I say bibliology, I mean like their theology about the Bible that is very thin, where they're like, no, there can't be any mistakes. There can't be any changes. There can't be any, like, what do you say to somebody like that? Um, so first of all, you have to be careful. Because that can get you, not only can you do damage to that person, but that person, in fact, can misunderstand you and do damage to you, given politics of church and stuff like that. So be careful as you go through that. Yeah. And then as far as the mistake stuff, that one can be tricky, like as a word, like, so for example, like sometimes in scripture, it will say like, he went to a dumb, mm-hmm. but it's a rum. He went mm-hmm. to a rom and the D and the R got switched mm-hmm. and that's fine. Like in one way you can classify that as a mistake. That's a scribal mistake, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yep. But it's not a mistake where it's like God's like, oh, you know what? I didn't make the moon. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I totally yeah, forgot yeah. to tell you. That was someone else. Dang it, right? man. I said my name was <laughs> Yahweh when it's really Steve. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> so scribal stuff happens and for whatever reason, God hasn't protected it from that. He just seems to have walked with it. And 
compositional stuff is part of all of this. And which I think is an interesting deal because it speaks to the accommodating nature of who God is. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to meet you where you are in the mess of where you are. And I'm not going to make you become something that you're not so that I can communicate something to you. Right, right. There's not a place that is completely void of the mess. Mm, yeah. Right? So scripture is one of those things that it still is. It's messy. It's, it's still a bit messy, but knowing that mess, it's one of those things where it's like being an amateur can be do more harm. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. Like yeah, knowing yeah. a little bit about it, you can jump to conclusions you have no business doing because you have people who are a lot better than you who have waded through the thickness of it and come out still holding on to the doctrines. So you either have to think that they're intellectually uh, inconsistent or that they understand things different and yeah. better. So, or they're taught something that they presuppose without examining the evidence, sure. and then they die on their presupposition. Yeah. So uh, like the first thing I would say to somebody like that is that the evidence that we have just doesn't allow for that. Yeah. So what do you do with this mountain of evidence that shows that it's a lot thicker than you say that it is? Yeah, yeah. It's so weird because someone who holds that position, it's all, you're already so fragile. It's such a fragile uh, bubble of a world. Mm-hmm. I would say that if you're holding to a position where your faith is threatened by data, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say all this points back to just a, a problem of belief in the Lord versus yeah. his word. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. we always have to drive it back to, hey, what do you believe about God? Is his word true? What yeah. do you, His character, is it true? Do right. you trust that? And then nothing else can stand against it if, yeah. if you do. So dive in at that point, right? Yeah. What, what are you scared of? Yeah, exactly. What are you scared of? And just to tie this together, I mean, I would say that this whole process, the revelation of God to his people, the transmission of the text, the reliability of that transmission and is for sure messy, but it's really fascinating. And I think when you really dive into it, I would just say for me personally, like my bibliology, my view of scripture has been strengthened right. in understanding the data not collapsed. Yeah, you're, it doesn't. Scripture doesn't now have less of a role. No, in no, no, no. I have a deeper appreciation for what yeah. inspiration and inerrancy are now that I understand the complexity of it. Right. And so, for somebody who's like, "Well, you guys aren't inerrantists, or you guys aren't don't believe in inspiration," I'm like, "No, we definitely do." Yeah. I'm wondering if you do, <laughs> because I'm not sure you understand what that is. Yeah, yeah. You know. And so, hear us loud and clear say that we definitely at watermark. Hold to the doctrine of inerrancy and inspiration and have a really high view of scripture, so high that we're honest about where it came from and how it got here and how messy that is. And then I also would just end off by saying that, again, our faith rests in the historical reality that that one that for so long the Jews are like, man, where where is David? Where is our Messiah? Where is the one who's going to clean all of this up? That that guy actually came, you know, that there was a, a Jew a couple thousand years ago who claimed really crazy things about himself, you know, to be the embodiment of this deity and to be the son of man figure from Daniel 7 and died on a cross. And his followers were like, what the heck just happened? Like our Messiah just died. There's no category for that. Right. And then all of a sudden, three days later, he's alive again. And then, like you said, this whole kingdom program is just moving. 
in a way that nobody expected. And our faith rests on that, not on us being able to say, oh, this is exactly what happened for 1,500 years, and mm-hmm. you know, we have this perfect text. And so our bibliology or what we believe about the Bible flows from our Christology and not the other way around. A lot more to be said there, but this has been a fascinating conversation, Scott. I really appreciate your time and just your expertise. So thanks for being with us, man. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Anything else? I'm ready for lunch. Yes. Feed us. All right. See y'all later. Later. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends, subscribe, leave us a rating on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Thanks. Seriously, Karen really likes those emails. So y'all should send us an email at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Bye. Peace. Peace.